to help us begin, I want to just invite you to wrestle with me for just a couple of questions. And it's okay if, um, if your answer is different than everybody else's answer in the room. Because it's really a very personal question that I would, I would like to ask you. This first one is this. Is it your hope that God would use your life in a way that glorifies him and blesses people? And see, I don't want to assume that. I mean, I know that we are in a room with, with other people of faith, and, 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 and we say, well, of course, that's, that's my goal. But it's a real question, isn't it? And how we answer that question is going gonna, is gonna to help um, the trajectory of our lives. Is it going to be focused on us, our life, or is it going to be focused on God and what he wants to accomplish through us? So I don't want to assume that that's where you are. And if you're not, that's okay, too. I'm trusting that if, if you just listen carefully, God will speak to you today as well. But I want to ask us that hard question. Is it your desire, your hope? That God will use your life in a way that glorifies him and that blesses other people. The reason I ask it is because, because Mary was a person like you and me. Mary had hopes as well, right? Picture, if you can, for a second, we might even have a couple in the room, a 14 or 15-year-old girl who's looking at the, um, the trajectory of her life, who, who's, who's thinking ahead and, and saying, I wonder what my life will be. I find myself doing that even at 58. I find myself looking ahead and saying, God, what, what will my life be like 10 years from now? What will my life be like should you grace me, God, uh, 20 years from now? What will my life be like? We have to imagine that a 14 or 15-year-old girl had an idea of what at least she would hope her life would be like, wouldn't she? Uh, you know, their culture was different than ours, but, but um, young girls got married much younger in that culture than ours. And so she was probably anticipating that within the next year there, this betrothal to Joseph would, would become real and she, she would marry. And, and uh, I tremble at the thought, you know. But, uh, but we had probably have people in the room that might have married at 15 or 16 as well, it was a reality for her. So when the news came to her that that God had different plans, you know, she had this this trajectory for her life, and, and God suddenly comes in there and says, um, "It's going to be different, Mary. You are going to be um, pregnant, but it's not going to be by Joseph." And and we don't have to have huge imaginations to know the the fear. And, and, and the, maybe even terror that that would bring her. I mean, terror is real, right? Because if someone accused you of adultery or someone accused you uh, of, of, of becoming pregnant outside of marriage, you could be stoned. You could be... So, so all of a sudden, her hopes, as she had always understood them, as, as much as a 14 or 15-year-old girl could, were, were dashed. They were, I want to use a different word, were disrupted, Right? And she found herself in that place where the world as she thought it would turn out didn't turn out that way. I'm guessing that her story is is maybe our story, too, in myriad different ways, uh, where where we thought our story was going to do this, and and we discovered that God had a different plan for us. The reality was different. That kind of brings me to my second question here, and that is this. Do we get to choose the way 
that God uses our lives, assuming that you are able to say, um, yes, I do want my life to glorify God, and I want it to bless other people, then my second question is, do we get to choose the way that that works out? And I have to tell you that I'm a little vulnerable to saying, yes, I want it to be just like this. I honestly can picture a pizza parlor in, in uh, North East Los Angeles, Northwest Los Angeles, uh, and sitting there and thinking, God, how is my life going to turn out? I would really, God, I would really like to be this. And, and, and I remember sitting there in that piece, something in the pizza parlor, some sign on the wall or something goosed me and, and, and made me start thinking about the trajectory of my life. I'm guessing that you're like me and, and you want the answer to be yes. But who of us? It's easy for me to look at a 14-year-old girl and say, does she really understand what her life could be? Probably not. It's easy for me to look at a 58-year-old man and say, does he really understand how his life could be? Probably not. So my second question to get us thinking is this, do we get to choose the way that God uses our life? When I said that the first time, several of you were shaking your head. You're saying, no, we don't. I see you've discovered that already. So, so is it possible then that we could learn something from this teenager? Is it, is it possible that we could learn something from Mary this week, next week from Joseph, um, that would help us as we seek to honor God with our lives in a way that glorifies him and blesses other people? I'm, I'm going to guess there is and ask you to think about this question. How did Mary respond? Maybe in her response there is, um, there is light and truth for us as well. Let's just recognize right up front that the barriers that she faced against belief in this message that God was bringing her were every bit as big as the barriers that you may be facing. And you think, wait a second, she was Mary. I mean, she, she had a little halo that followed her around wherever she went, right? She, certainly she didn't have those same. Oh, yes, she did. She was, she was a, a, a deeply devout a Jew, and, and a part of her devotion was that God is high and lifted up. Did you hear her echoing uh, Hannah earlier? Did you hear her echoing, holy is his name, right? Holy is his name. And, and God is high and lifted up. He is not groveling here in Nazareth with me in the dirt, right? He, he's exalted. He would never... He would never come and submit himself to the brokenness of humanity, would he? Right? You see what's happening there? So, so her world was, her mind was being blown right there, that God would come into the world, that he would become flesh, and it was especially blown in the sense that she was going to be the one that would bring this God-man into the world. But here's the reality. A combination of evidence that God was presenting and experience shattered those barriers. It shattered those barriers, and she was able to come to faith in what the angel had said. And I want to suggest to you that that's exactly the way that it works now. That's exactly the way that it works now. She doubted. She questioned. She used her reasoning, right, And that helped her to ask more questions. Just as today, we must use our minds. We must question. We must must seek if we're going to find faith. So how did she respond? I want to say, first off, she responded very thoughtfully. 
very thoughtfully. And you might be a little surprised that I said thoughtfully, right? Because there's kind of a false narrative out there that says if you're a follower of God, that you follow him by blind faith. Don't ask, just do it, right? Just just believe. And there's this false narrative out there that says that if, if you can't, Believe, then, then there must be something wrong with you. There's something not right in your faith. Come on, will yourself to believe this. And, and, and whatever you do, don't doubt anywhere along the journey, right? And I understand where that comes from. The Bible is constantly causing us to live in a tension between trust, but also using our minds. But, but did you notice how Mary responded in the midst of this? She did not check her brain at the door, right? She did not put her weight down on some ungrounded fantasy out there. I want to, I want to suggest to you that the opposite is true. She exhibited this reality that faith is not blind. As, as Mary will show us, faith is intensely rational and grounded in thoughtful discernment of reality. Wow. How, how, back that up, Pastor Dave. Back that up a little bit. Well, first of all, I want, to, I want to look at the way she responded to the angels. In order to do that, can I take just a moment and just remind us of something that we know but, but we forget periodically because we watch movies and we see angels portrayed in many different ways. Um, angels, unlike uh, in a lot of the movies, are not fat little babies with wings, right? In fact, I'm trying, I'm searching my memory, and maybe someone can help me later. Oh, I know why. From cherubim and seraphim, a particular messenger angel, we get this idea that all angels have wings. But I think if you look, every time an angel com- came to uh, a human being, they came looking just like a human being. And so the reality of this story for Mary is that there's a man in her room in the middle of the night, right? This is a frightening kind of experience and this man is claiming to have a message from her about God right and and so so she was yes surprise surprise greatly troubled greatly troubled right but look at this and and I want you to take you back to the exact scripture right here she was greatly troubled in verse 29 at the saying of the angel but look at this she tried to discern what sort of greeting this, do you see what she's doing? you see what she's doing? She's engaging her mind. She's trying to understand. It's way beyond the scope of her, of her ability to grasp, but, she, but she's trying. She's trying to discern. The literal word that's used right there is to make an account. She's saying, she's saying this doesn't really add up. Well, I don't, first of all, that God would become human being, that, that's mind-blowing enough, but then that he would choose to use a 14-year-old girl from Nazareth, uh, the backwoods of Israel, um, it does not add up. She responded thoughtfully. And I want to challenge you to respond thoughtfully. When you're trying to answer this question, how will God use my life? How will he use me to glorify him and to bless other people? Engage your mind. But I want to note also that you can tell um, how she engaged her mind by, her, uh, by her, her response. Now, I used in your bulletin the word reaction, and I regretted using that because I understand something, and, and, and I got it through the Kairos movement, that, that um, a reaction is oftentimes just a human response to some stimulus. Mary didn't just react. 
she chose to respond instead in a way that opened the door to what God was doing rather than just came out of her own being. And what was her first response? Her first response, I'm going to use long words here, but it was measured incredulity. This is incredible news that God is bringing. And it is far beyond the scope of her mind to be able to grasp, right? And, and, and so let's not pretend that the gospel is something that, that's tame. Let's not pretend it's something that can be put in a little bag and then, and then kept there. This story that God is coming to the world and wants to use us is incredible. And I'm kind of wondering if maybe my problem and maybe your problem is that it's no longer incredible to us. The story is no longer incredible to us. Some of us grew up in in a culture where that's all we've ever understood. And I fear for that a little bit because because I'm wondering if we've ever... If we've ever come to that place where we said, this is crazy, this is unbelievable that God would come into the world, become flesh, and that he would use a human being to do that. So, so there was incredulity there, but it was measured, wasn't it? it was, she was able to say, no, no, I can't quite wrap my brain around this, but I want to. I want to understand. And I love, I love the gradual nature of the way that she responded at first, she is still way outside of her ability, but she's moving. She's moving toward it very gradually. And I just want to say for a second that, that some of us, uh, for me, when I got it, I got it. It was like a thunderbolt. I can remember the moment. I can remember the date. I can remember the sign that I was looking at out the backside of the window. It was that famous sign, the artichoke capital of the world, was the sign that I was looking at when I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. The artichoke capital of the world in Northern California. Um, but, but that's not true for all of us, right? Um, some of you probably go, you know, these people have these amazing testimonies, and I, I just don't remember a time when I didn't trust in Jesus, right? From, from a child up, that's okay. That is awesome. No two people's story are exactly the same. And, and what I love about Mary is that she kind of models for us in a, yeah, a compressed period of time, but she kind of models that gradual movement with different steps along the way. She, re, she responded with measured incredulity. She said, how can this be? I want to understand. Some of you in Sunday school class this morning wrestled, right? Wrestled with the difference between that response and, and Zechariah's response, the father of John the Baptist, who said something similar and then had to be still for, six, or for three more months, I guess, had to be still through the balance of of John the Baptist's pregnancy, could not speak until he was born. What was the difference? And I have to tell you, I don't know. I don't know other than this. That there is, um, there is a kind of doubt um, that leads to a closed mind. I refuse to believe this truth. I refuse. And there is... The same, it's, it's still doubt, it's still questioning, but it, it leads to an open mind. It leads to, I want to know more. And, and I'm wondering if maybe the harsh response for Zechariah was that, was that his, his response and questioning was out of that closed-minded doubt. And, and, and maybe, just maybe, Mary's response was out of, I can't possibly comprehend this, but, but I'm open 
I'm open, messenger of God. I'm open, word of God. I'm open to changing my perspective. God, if it's truly you that's leading me there. See, Mary didn't just respond, oh, it makes sense to me, and let's, let's, let's make it happen. Even though the, the prevailing thought of her time was that God never took on human flesh, she was open. She was open to this possibility that God might be moving. So I just want to encourage you, if you're somewhere on that journey today, maybe at the very beginning saying, everybody else in the room seems to believe something, but I just can't wrap my brain around it. God bless you. God bless you. But choose how you're going to respond. Because this message isn't ours. It's not mine. It's not all of that's. It's, it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. He's coming into the world. He has come into the world. And he's coming again into the world. And in between, the messenger of his good news is you. Is you. Mary finds the angel's message incredible, but her reaction is measured. She doesn't stop the conversation. She asks for more information. Do you see what happened? The angel gave it to her, right? She asked, ask, and you shall receive. Knock, and the door shall be open, right? Seek, and you will find the measure of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus is that they ask and they're willing to say, I don't understand. And the measure of integrity with a non-believer, when you're sharing your faith and they ask you a hard question you can't answer, is to say, I don't know. But let's find out together. Let's find out together. So her first reaction is measured incredulity, but her second one is simple acceptance. The angel answers. He answers her question and, and she comes. And I think for most of my life, I, I saw this response as the, the, wow, the big moment. The angels are singing. The surrender moment. I don't think that it is. I think that the second reaction is one of just, I can't completely understand it, God. But I will accept it if you say it. I am the Lord's servant, she said. May your word be fulfilled. I can't see it, but I trust you. I accept it. Know what she's not saying. She's not saying, I get it. It's completely clear now. She's not, she, she is saying, it doesn't make sense to me, but I will keep pursuing until it does. I will not give up. I will follow. And I want to just say to you, if you're in this place, if you're in that in-between place, this is a good place to be. This is a very important place to occupy for just a little while, right? Because many of us, if we cannot completely grasp it, what is the movie? Dances with Wolves. We stand like a fist, right? We stand like a fist and dare God to somehow prove it. And that's not Mary's attitude at all. That's not Mary's attitude at all. She's engaged rationally, emotionally, and personally. She doesn't completely understand. And most of us don't. But she submits and trusts despite her fears, despite her reservation. And that gives her a foothold for moving forward. I don't know how many of you have had a chance to, to climb one of our dear brothers here in town who helped Keith Hefley with the Barnabas Ministries, was leading some high schoolers climbing just a couple of weeks ago, pastor in Henderson now, and, and um, he set the ropes for the climbers, and then and he got tired, and he sat down at the base of it, and, and, and the Lord took him home right there on the weekend with the kids halfway up the, halfway up the rope. He brought him home. I remember climbing. I remember being terrorized, uh, being in, in what they call in climbing the crux move, where you have to, you're either all in or, or you fall. We used to say you peel off. 
You peel off that wall. You had one of those just that last week, didn't you, Dave? Dave was sitting in his cabin one ridge away from the Gatlinburg fire, trusting God at the same time, feeling the call of God to protect his wife and, and some of their treasured possessions from their cabin. And they lived in that in-between place, that crux move, that place. God, if you don't move here, if you don't provide, I'm going to peel off. And maybe just maybe other people will be hurt in the process of that. I want to suggest to you that, that God speaks to us in those moments. He says, trust me. Trust me. Risk the next move. Risk simply the next move. Trust and submit. And let's move forward. It's okay. It's okay to not be able to completely see your way. How many times in Scripture did God call someone and not tell them how it was going to happen? It's okay to be fearful. But we do have to move on what's been revealed to us, the next step. Well, eventually, um, she not only has measured incredulity, she not only exhibits this simple acceptance, but it eventually comes to that point where she's able to exercise faith from her heart. And what I love about this story, and I think we might have skipped a portion of it, he told her about it, but we didn't read the portion where she actually goes to Elizabeth. Um, God put someone in her life Someone who is just one step on the journey ahead of her. John the Baptist had not been born yet. He was still in his mother Elizabeth's womb. But he put someone in her life who was one step ahead of her. And, and hearing uh, God speak through this person who's only one step ahead of her um, brought Mary much comfort and much encouragement and gave her the courage to believe what God had said. So Mary, after she visits her cousin Elizabeth, sees her faith. She hears in Elizabeth's voice God's confirmation, and she bursts into praise that envelops her whole soul, her mind, her will, and her emotions. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit exalts in God my Savior. She's not merely submitting her will, but she's giving her heart joyfully. And she chooses to magnify rather than minimize God's presence and his promise. Let me say that one more time. She chooses to magnify and not minimize God's presence and his promises. Uh, I think there's an inner pirate in me. Um, The reason that I know that is because when I saw um, a couple of years ago on the Internet, a pirate telescope. I had to have it. And, uh, and it's been sitting in there on my bookshelf. Um, and the cool thing about this pirate telescope is that if I look through it this woo, if I look through it this way, um, then it brings so much closer everything I'm focusing on, right? But imagine with me for a second that I did that. What, did it, what does it do, Bill? Where'd you go, buddy? I've known Bill since he was that big. Right? It, it, it minimizes it. It actually, it actually makes it much smaller. And you see what Mary is saying? She's saying your mind, your will, your emotions, those things that make up who you are, either magnify or minimize God 
And, and the reality of that, that's true for you. That's true for you. But here's, here's the kicker. It's true for those around you as well. And so that's why it's so important that we hear from Mary this morning, that we hear this invitation to, to, to take this journey of faith, to engage our mind, to engage our, our feelings, to engage our will on this journey of faith. Why, why does faith like this take such a journey? I think it's because faith is not something you simply decide for yourself to exercise. God has to open your heart. God has to break through your prejudices. He's got to break through your denials, right? He's got to break through the incrustation of all the experiences and the way that you had interpreted all throughout your life. For a 14-year-old, she had a lot of things that God had to break through. Imagine for a 58-year-old all the things that God has to break through in order for faith to take place. God has to do it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says a powerful truth. You know it, but I just want to highlight it right here in the midst of this story. Um, Paul in Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, right? So God's grace is extended to you, and, and you receive that through faith. But do you hear that next line? And this, not of yourselves... It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Do you get it? Faith itself is an incredible gift. And you have to have that sense that it's coming from outside of you and into you from the outside, right? Or as Paul put it in in much more complicated language in Titus 3, 4 through 7. It's beautiful, but it's Paul. I'm sticking with Mary because I I can understand Mary better right here. The one who made you at the beginning is making you again. Did you catch that? The one who made you at the beginning, your creator, is remaking you through his Holy Spirit, through faith. God is remaking you into a vessel that can carry this treasure Or again, as Paul would say it, he's conforming you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Well, no wonder, it is no wonder that she responds now in wonder. But I don't think that the wonder is because necessarily completely of of what God is doing in bringing Jesus into the world. A big part of her wonder is that God would choose to use her. And I have shared with you over and over again But 22 years later, it's still true. Most people, when I encounter them, and they have an obstacle to to what God wants to do in their life, the obstacle is that they can't believe that God would choose them. And they say to me, if you knew me, Dave, you would understand my, my struggle. And I would say to them, God does know you, and he does understand And he still chooses to use you. That's what's so odd, I think, about the Catholic doctrine of of the immaculate or the the purity of Mary, that that God chose a vessel without sin. No, I'm confident that she was just like you and me. That's the miracle. 
that God would use a broken human being to be the vessel of his treasure. So she responds in wonder, but finally she responds in willing surrender. Come on up, worship team, if you would. In willing surrender. Let me ask you this. Are you willing, beloved, to obey anything the Bible tells you to do? Are you willing to obey anything the Bible tells you to do, whether you understand it or not? Because doesn't it make it sense? I mean, I'm going to choose something absolutely ridiculous so that I don't offend myself or everybody else in the room. Um, and I'm, probably is a bank robber in the room, but I was going to use the illustration of a bank robber, right? If you're robbing banks and you're thinking, well, it'll, it'll help because then I can tithe on what I robbed from the bank, right? <laughs> See how our twisted minds work? Um, the, the first step of your discipleship would be to do what? Stop robbing the banks, right? Right? I'm not trying to be patronizing. I think it came across very patronizing. Um, but translate that to your brokenness, see? Because God is revealing to us all the time by his Holy Spirit just simple steps of obedience. This is what I'm asking of you. And it's very simple. I, I say that, and some of them might be huge, but, but until we take that first step of obedience, we're not going to understand the rest of the trajectory. Does that make sense? Are you willing? Are you willing to the extent that God makes known to you? Are you willing to obey him with whatever he says to do, whether you like it or not? Let me put that same question slightly differently. Are you willing to trust God now in anything that he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? You see, if you come to this room thinking that, well, churches are full of people who just have their acts together and stuff like that, and, and everything's going swimmingly for them, guess again. Amen? I mean, we have real struggles out there. We have real brokenness out there. We have circumstances out there that, that we could never have called in a thousand years and we're right in the midst of it and saying, God, what are you doing? And my question to you is, can you trust him in the midst of that situation? Can you, can you love him enough to, to believe that maybe, just maybe, he put you in this situation because of your answer to the first question? I want to um, have my life be used by God in a way that glorifies him and blesses other people. I want that to happen. Becoming a Christian is not like um, signing on to a gym. It's not a, a living well program that will help you flourish and help you realize your potential. Christian faith is not a negotiation. It is a surrender. It is a surrender. And our greatest motivation for surrendering to him cannot be for what he will do in us. The us has to be taken out. It has to be a, a love response for what he has already done for us. He has come for us, our Messiah, right? He's already done it. And everything else is gravy. So here's the deal. We know so much more than Mary did. We know that 30 years after this moment that we're studying today, this moment when she says, let it be done according to your word, her son, the promised one who she would bring into this world, would have say something eerily similar, right? Her son would say, not my will, but yours be done. 
And because he was able to say what his mother was able to say 31 years before that, you and I can have a relationship with the living God. We know what Mary didn't. We know that for every sacrifice Mary made for him, and they were many, as any mom knows, Jesus made infinitely more for her. So my last question for you today is, how will you respond? How will you respond when God reveals how he wants to use your life? I put that question that way because many of you have already entrusted yourself to him as your savior, but you're not sure how he's going to use your life and the balance of your life. How will you respond when he reveals it? Your life and your experiences are the lens through which you and those nearest you see God. Your life, your will, your mind, your emotions are the lens. And you can either magnify and make larger or you can minimize and make smaller your perception of God and through you other people's perception of God by the way that you respond. I do want to make something really clear as I close. God is sovereign. He doesn't need your response. He wants it. He doesn't need us. He loves us and wants us to be changed by our response. So I close with Psalm 34, verse 3, one of the earliest scriptures that I memorized. Let's, let's choose to magnify And not minimize. Amen. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let's exalt his name together. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for Mary. And thank you for for, um, her integrity. Uh, God, as she she wrestled through the thought processes, as she overcame the fear and all the emotions that were accumulating around this amazing event in her life, and as she surrendered her will, God, to your sovereign purposes. God, I know there's people out here that are in very, very similar places. Strengthen them. Would you now, by your Holy Spirit, God, put other men and women in their lives who will be that voice of encouragement, who will be that Elizabeth, who will be that Barnabas to uh, us. And, and, and God, let us be encouraging one another to obedience until that day when we stand, God, in your presence and we see the fruit of this mustard seed of faith which you granted us and we see the blessings, generations, should you tarry, God, of blessings that result as a result of our faithfulness. But we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray that you cause it to grow in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.